Hi, could you please say your name? Hi, my name is Rachel Bloom. I'm 5'3", and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. Hey everyone, welcome to Slate Your Name, the podcast where an actor, that's me, talks to other actors and creators about navigating the ups and downs of the entertainment industry. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. I moved out to LA back in 2002 after graduating theater school, and I've been working as an actor in Hollywood for 20 years now. And while I'm considered a working actor, I spend most of my time trying to book work. I thought it would be fun to sit down every week and talk with a fellow actor, some I've worked with, some I'd love to work with, and see how they're dealing with making their way through this business. Whether you're a casual listener, a struggling actor, or a student of the theater arts, like I once was, my hope is that you'll discover something for you in this podcast. Maybe we'll find out together why anyone would want to work in a field where they are constantly interviewing for jobs and very rarely get hired. And if you're listening to find out how you can make it in the business, well, you're about to find out that there's no answer to that question. Not a single one answer to that question. If there was, everybody who set out to work as an actor would be famous But the good news is, since there's not one single way, you'll get to forge your own path to success, as our very first guest did. Okay, speaking of which, I want to get to our guest. But before we do, I need to call our very first company meeting. I want to remind you guys that if you like what you hear today, please follow Slate Your Name on your favorite podcast app and do me a solid. If you like the show, please give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This is especially important since this is a brand new show. It's going to help guide more listeners like you to this program or so. That's what the podcast algorithm overlords tell me. There is a Slate Your Name Patreon as well. So you get double the Slate Your Name every week if you like the show. You can support the podcast by subscribing to that bonus feed. Every week, our guests will stick around for a hangout in the Slate Your Name green room and share one of their favorite war stories. You know, one of the funniest things that happened to them or one of their biggest accomplishments or biggest disappointments. Plus, I will select some listener questions about the business and do my best to answer those. Those bonus episodes will drop when these episodes do. So you can hop over to the Patreon feed immediately after listening to this episode and join us for a backstage hang with today's guest. Support Slate Your Name and access the green room for a $5 monthly pledge over at patreon.com slash slate your name. And because this is a new thing, the very first green room episode featuring today's guest will be free to all of my listeners permanently. So come on by and check it out. Okay, that's it. This meeting is over. Let's get to the reason why you came here. I'm so excited to chat with our very first guest. This woman is not only a triple threat, quintuple? What is it? Definitely not a triple. Definitely not a quadruple. A quintuple. 
a quintuple threat. She's also already created and starred in her very own television series, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which I was on. She has an insane VO career in addition to everything else she's accomplished, including starring in the animated film Trolls World Tour. She's truly one of the nerdiest and funniest fellow theater kids I've ever met, as you'll see by her extensive knowledge of musical theater deep cuts. Here's my chat with the fabulous Rachel Bloom. Rachel Bloom, welcome to the inaugural episode of Slate Your Name. It's so nice of you to help a cis white male with another podcast project. You're a good friend. You know, anything for, anything for a gig. The 15 pages of sides you sent over uh, was a little weird, uh-huh. uh, but I do have them fully off book. Oh, that's great. You know, because in this new age of self-taping, it really does help if you could just have everything fully off book um, before, you know, sending it into casting at 8 a.m. the next morning. Rachel. Yeah. yeah. Rachel, speaking of auditions, you're sure. a musical theater gal. You grew up doing musical theater, I assume, similar to the way I did as a kid where like if I well, you grew up in L.A., so maybe not. But like I grew up in Kansas. The only way I could act was if I auditioned for a school musical or a extracurricular musical, because that's all anybody was doing at the time. What was your go to audition song? What was your first big audition song that you brought with you? Well, I'm trying to think because usually, because I did a lot of community theater and I grew up, yes, I grew up in LA, but but it was further enough from LA to where, like I knew a couple people who had agents and I really wanted an agent and my parents were like, as if I could then get an agent. I, I, I didn't understand how hard getting an agent was, but my parents were like, no, we're not going to let you miss school. You're not going to audition for things professionally, which I actually think was a really good call on their part. You hear that? I'm complimenting you people on a podcast. <laughs> I hope you hear that and that I get credit. So I auditioned for what I guess what I'm saying is a lot of things I auditioned for had sp- songs specific to the thing you were auditioning for. Oh, interesting. The, the thing where I needed kind of signature songs was when I auditioned for colleges. And so my college audition songs, so you needed, you know, an up-tempo and a ballad, and sometimes you needed a pre-1960 up-tempo, pre-1960 ballad, and then post-1960. So my college audition songs were the song Privilege to Pee from Town. This is what I sang at my Carnegie Mellon audition that got me waitlisted. Thank you. Waitlisted at Carnegie Mellon, my alma mater. Oh, I am aware, Michael. I'm aware. <laughs> I think you told me this on set one time that like you got waitlisted. Oh, every time I hear about someone going to Carnegie Mellon, I'm still bitter about it because I got waitlisted and then I paid a hundred dollars to be on a priority waitlist. Oh God! And I and that why why, why did aren't I you do in jail? That? You should be in jail right now. That is that's up there with the college scandals. You're paying your way <laughs> to get into college. <laughs> I said I was on crew. They didn't care. <laughs> so it was that. Um, my other up tempo took a was... lot of fake pictures holding oars. <laughs> my other up tempo was "Look What Happened to Mabel" from the musical Mac and Mabel, and my slow song was "Smoke Gets in Your Eyes," which is like a Ooh. classy one that I think no one else did. So two questions: How did you get from not being in Carnegie Mellon into college? Did you go? You went to NYU, right? Yes, yes. I auditioned for many other colleges, and I should say I actually got into every other college for which I auditioned. Carnegie Mellon was Nailed my it. white whale. Why? Um, what happened? What do you mean? That what Carnegie happened? Mellon why, 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 why did didn't I get into Carnegie? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think it was? 
I just think I wasn't as good as other people. I, I remember what happened. I auditioned in LA. They had, so all of these colleges, in addition to having auditions at the college, they have auditions in both LA and New York. So I was at the auditions in LA in this hotel and you basically, I remember auditioning for, there was a period of two days where all of the colleges were having their auditions at various hotels near LAX. So I remember I auditioned and then it came down. They went, thank you for your time, everyone. We're going to let everyone go except for Rachel and this other girl whose name I don't know, but I saw her in a show and she was great. And so they kept me and her. So I was like, oh, okay. It's, it's down to me and her as far as who won the LA auditions, I guess. And I remember hearing her sing and she had one of those voices that was just beautiful. Like Kristen Chenoweth, with like indestructible, amazing vibrato. And I've always had the type of voice that's like a little more... I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think I have one of those voices that's like, hold everything. Stop in your seat. This is one of the greatest voices. Like it's more of a means to communicate the song. I, it, it's a good voice. I just, I don't have one of those like, yeah, we'll just do more of that. Yeah. We just did. That's like, yeah. <laughs> and she sounded so good. And then I remember I like went in and sang my song for them again. I hadn't sung privilege to be for them again. This is a good old fashioned sing off. Yeah. And I came me. and then I came out. Also, we have to say, like, I had a lot of issues. I come out of my audition. I remember asking her, I was like, did I sound okay? What are you doing? Don't ask the person. So, anyway, I assume she got in. Uh, Carnegie Mellon only admitted, I was told, four girls and four boys to their musical theater program. So, to be waitlisted is a, was a big compliment. If it had been any other program that, say, admitted like 10 and 10, I. I would have gotten. I would have gotten it. This sounds so lame. I sound I think, so. I also think that's lame. a lie because there was like definitely ten, at least ten boys and at least ten girls in my freshman class. But you're. And I wasn't. I was o- straight older theater. Older than I am. I'm much older. I think than they you. made it a little more selective oh. after they after they were like, wait, we let Michael in. Yeah. Let, not got- even for musical theater. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. So how did you go from musical theater into comedy? I'm going to try to shorten it, and if you have any clarifying questions, feel free to interrupt me. I majored in musical theater. After two and a half years, I was like, I feel like my brain is going dead. I switched to experimental theater because at NYU, there are different studios. It's a little uh, different than how other colleges go. Uh, I did experimental theater, and then I started getting more and more into comedy, and I actually spent my last semester at NYU not even doing theater. I interned at SNL and then I interned at the Onion News Network. Oh, wow. Um, mm -hmm. And then I got out of school and I started doing stuff at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater because that became my goal. My goal basically solely became to write and perform my own like comedy material. And then I slowly realized was I was like, oh, uh, I think this musical comedy thing might be like it might be something no one else is doing because I had taken a musical theater writing uh, workshop at NYU over over this one summer. Musical theater is a part of who I am, and like I was always it, I was always really hard pressed actually to find comedic audition songs that were actually really funny. That's actually what originally inspired me to write comedy songs. Is like the songs that are out there for women at the time in two thousand eight two thousand nine were just like. I drop my handkerchief. My handkerchief is on the ground. And it's like, everyone's doing the a handkerchief song. A boy ran song. over my foot it's in so, a jalopy. They're just terrible. Just truly just like, these aren't funny songs. Uh, yeah, so, it's all about like uh, making sure you button up your winter clothing. Oh that's God. like, that's yeah. what all these songs are. 
It's like button or someone falls or it's like an embarrassing moment, but not an actual embarrassing moment. It's just like, I burped. That's right. I burped. That's a <laughs> fictitious song, but I bet it also exists. Right. So I started doing that. And then um, I put out a music video that went really viral and that got me representation for that both. was fuck me Ray Bradbury, yeah, correct? Yeah. Okay. And that got me representation for both acting and writing. And that's when I kind of started simultaneously writing on my first TV show, auditioning in Hollywood to not a lot of success, and continuing to do musical comedy on the internet and at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. That's so, wild. Yeah. You you I feel like you were right at the right timing for that because my generation I like as we stated I'm much older than you. You know, we were really trained for an analog. You know, I was we still had black and white headshots when I came out to LA. But like we really trained You still had like a black this. and white television set. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I auditioned for the Dick Van Dyke show. Uh as the Ottoman. Um but <laughs> <laughs> went offer only. Uh but they yeah, it was like, I didn't even know, like, uh, you know, I feel like we were completely unprepared. My generation was, like, completely unprepared for, like, YouTube and all of this stuff. Like, my whole thing is still trying to re- catch up with, like, well, I audition, and that's that's how I get jobs, is auditioning. But you've, I feel like you're so impressive in the fact that you've, like, completely, you created your own industry first, which led to a career, I feel like. Oh, thank you. And I should say a lot of people were doing this. I didn't come up with the idea to do... You invented YouTube, Rachel. I invented... Exactly. It is... It's not what you're saying. It was exactly the right time because I graduated. I started doing stuff at UCB, quickly realized, oh, maybe I should work some musical stuff into it, which already... I, I remember asking numerous people... Like, how can I do it all? And everyone told me at a certain point, you're going to have to choose between theater and comedy. They're like, you can't, you're just going to have to choose. The numerous people said that, like numerous comedians were like, when are you going to stop the stupid musical thing and just focus on comedy? And when they say comedy, do they mean like com- stand-up comedy or sketch yes, comedy? It was more like sketch comedy. I had yeah. dabbled, I had started dipping my toe into stand-up. Uh, but they meant kind of more sketch so yeah, I combined the two, and then around the time that I was combining the two, YouTube was starting to be a big thing. I, there were you know videos going viral, like well, I think Pearl the Landlord was two thousand six, maybe. Funny we or all, die. We all have set our reset our histories based around Pearl the Landlord. Obviously, well, I'm trying to Where think. Of, you actually, you know what, Lazy. Pearl the you know what, Lonely Island's Lazy Sunday. Honestly, was a turning point because that was, I think, the first, I want to say the first, if not one of the first digital shorts. And that went super viral. And then, and then the landlord came out and then the kind of fashion, fashionable thing to do was to do like grainy sketch comedy and, and put that online. And then right around the time I graduated, there were a group of people who were starting to do internet comedy around me that, that it looked really good. And it was called, it was a, a, film collective called landline tv and they did kind of like topical it was it was usually some sort of parodies of existing television shows or movies and actually one of the directors of it was paul briganti who directed fuck me ray bradbury who's now a director on snl and i believe uh paul downs and lucia and yellow who created hacks were also involved in this so it was yeah so it was a bunch of really talented people and they were working with this amazing DP named Paul Rondeau. And so and I'd, I'd slowly watch them making their own videos. And then simultaneously, my boyfriend, who is now my husband, 
he got very successful at a very young age, 23, um, selling TV pilots. And the way he did this, and this is in 2006, I want to say, they would make a short. They basically, he and his writing partners would have a spec script they wrote. And then they also would film along with it a scene from it or like a sizzle reel. And that is how they started selling shit is they were just like filming a little section of what they wrote. So all of these people were doing things around me. And then I was, I was roommates with Alana Glazer and I was there when she started filming Broad City as the web series. And so I'm not the first person to, to, to think of this. A lot of people come from this world. Uh, and what you're doing is you're cutting out the middleman. You're getting your work out there without someone having to cast you or approve you, but also it's getting your point of view out there without someone having to say, well, yes, you can have a TV show or you can't have a TV show. Cause most people, most TV shows that are pitched don't get made. I mean, separately, I also loved writing. So I think, you know, the writing almost came before, it came almost simultaneously with the acting. So as far as like, well, writing stuff to get acting jobs, it was also just because I liked writing. But I do know some people out there who are writers who it started to be like, I got to write for myself because I'm not getting cast. It's fascinating now. I went back and rewatched Fuck Me, Ray Bradbury today. Oh, wow. Because it had been a few years. And it's so funny watching it. I was like, oh, of course, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was originally a Showtime show. And I assume with a lot more rated R or NC-17 content, because, I mean, I forgot how, in good, clean, fun fashion, but how filthy Fuck Me Ray Bradbury is. Oh, yeah. And you can see, it was like, oh, I can see the version of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that all of this level of humor, like the not-safe-for-work level of humor, would have been in the original series, or would have been in the series. Yeah, and the pilot is definitely dirtier. I mean, it's... The, the scene with Greg that's a makeout scene. If you know the pilot of Crazy X, to anyone listening, it's a makeout scene, but in the original pilot, it is, it is a full-on like hand job into crying blowjob scene. Um, there's a stripper, and she's topless. Um, we have a couple fucks in there, definitely. But actually, you know, it's not as different as you'd think. There, there, it's, it's, not, it's not night and day tonally. We didn't have to completely completely reshoot it but yeah I, I have a, a dirtier a, a bluer sensibility um and crazy x came about was from Aline seeing some of the internet videos i made yeah and was it difficult then coming from that place where you had no one telling you how you're supposed to you know no one limiting your voice then to suddenly be working in the world of the cw no is it was it more freeing to to follow those guidelines and not be able to completely use your voice or are you just using your voice in a different way they said to us in our initial meeting you go as far as you want and we'll pull you back so that's always what we did I never thought of the show as a network show I always thought of us as a cable show that we had to just we couldn't say certain things so I learned we learned quickly how to use innuendo how you know what what's the furthest we could push and we got a lot away with a lot what of was the furthest you guys tried to go do you remember oh I mean and strip away my conscious conscience. I originally wanted to say like, you say you're so mean, but dude, I'm so wet. And then I was going to like dunk water on my head. And they were like, no, we can see right through this. 
Uh, oh, oh, we, we wanted Paula to, be, they don't even allow you to bleep curse words. We, we wanted oh, wow. originally to see like, well, can we do a thing that The Office did and like bleep curse words? Like The Office did it, Arrested Development did it. I was going to say Those are network show, exactly. But CW was like, we don't do that on our show. So there was this whole Paula rant in episode, uh, in season one where she was going to be like, you fucking motherfuckers and we were just going to bleep it. It was in actually the episode that you premiered in and then they wouldn't let us and so it was like, you pieces of garbage and Donalyn sells the hell out of that. But it's why in Greg sings a song called Shit Show, the reason that song was so hard to write is that our first impulse was to call it Shit Show and we were like, they won't let us say it. And I, I basically called the CW and was like, look, this is an extenuating circumstance. I, we need to be able to call this song Shit Show. Please, pl- please give us this exception. And so they did. They gave us two, two shits that we could bleep. Wow. That's great. Yeah. You got two. Someone finally gave two, two shits, shits about exactly. little Rachel Bloom. Speaking of little Rachel, when you were growing up, like, so you never had specifically like, when I grow up, I'm going to be this kind of actor. And, you know, I'm going to be a Broadway. Were you, were you thinking musical theater? Were you thinking L.A.? Because I've. it's interesting no, to Broadway me. No, Broadway star. I never Broadway. thought I would move back to Los Angeles. I was like, get me out of here. Well, that's so funny because, you know, most it's the other way around, like kids can't wait to get out to LA, get out to the sunny beaches of California and be on, be on a soap opera. So you were Broadway. Who were, why Broadway? How did you, how did, was that just a house you grew up in? Uh, yeah, my grandparents, my grandfather was an amateur stand-up comedian, actor and director in our local community theaters. And so my grandparents took me to see guys and dolls. I remember when I was like five years old at the local playhouse called the Kentwood players, which still exists. And, I was just, I just kind of fell in love with musical theater. Film acting didn't, I wasn't as interested. I don't don't know. I just, I listened to musical theater. I loved seeing musicals. It just is what I sparked to. And also my grandpa liked to sing and my mom played piano. So our house was like very musical. And that's the people that I admired. Right. Yeah, it is. uh, I think we only had musical theater soundtracks in my house and John Denver eight tracks. That was, that was it. My first, the first CD I bought was cats, the soundtrack to cats. Basic bitch. Yeah. What was, what was your, cause you grew up in a different era. Again, this podcast is just about how much older I am than you, <laughs> but like, you know, uh, what was your first, you remember your first Broadway cast album that you bought and learned? Uh, I mean, my parents already had so many, there were already so many in the house, so we already had the original cast of Guys and Dolls and Annie Get Your Gun and The Rink, which my parents had seen on Broadway. The first thing that I bought myself, I would basically go to Barnes & Noble or, uh, yeah, I think it was Barnes & Noble, and I would just see what what are the new Broadway CDs that they had that I'd never heard. And so I quick, I mean, in starting in middle school, I started to buy my own CDs and I mean, maybe the first one that I bought for myself was with my allowance was like, I don't know, the apple tree or something. Like I liked old, old musicals. That's really, yeah, that's all we got. 
I feel like as kids, the only thing you could do in school was like some old Rogers and Hammerstein thing, which now I feel like are way more inappropriate than modern musicals they when you look back are, on some of the yes. content. Yes, the content doesn't hold up. I started to get really into buying the more like obscure a musical was and modern. Like, oh, this just came up. This was just off Broadway. I got to go buy this. Like I was really into like Lucky Stiff, which I don't think was ever on Broadway. And I actually, I had bought... Once I started to also get other dorkier musical theater friends who knew more, I got this show, um, Three, which was only ever at the Amundsen Theater. I don't think it was ever even off-Broadway. And one of the stars of that is Ms. Donalyn Champlin. Get out of town. So I've been listening to Donalyn wow. since the recording of Three that I bought in, I think, 2002? Wow. Yeah. What's the... If you were like... If you could pitch me the weirdest musical that nobody's heard of... That is a, a favorite of yours. Oh, you, favorites, you know I mean? a, favorites are different. I was going to yeah. say the weirdest musical that definitely doesn't hold up is this uh, flop called Pretty Bell in which uh, <laughs> Angela Lansbury plays a Southern Belle who goes crazy. And the first song is called Manic Depressives Don't Do Rewrites. So what that's, does that even mean? Oh, it's, it, it's a... Bonker score that definitely doesn't hold up in any sense of the word. Obscure that I love. Well, well, I'm always a big fan of anything Michael John Lacusa. Uh, I directed his version of The Wild Party when I was in college. A lot of times things that are obscure, you listen to it and you're like, oh yeah, there's a reason that this is obscure. Uh, right. I just didn't know if you had one where you're like, guys, guys, pay attention to this one. This should be a movie. This should be this should be bigger than it is. Oh, uh, Wild Party is pretty good. Um, no, I mean, the thing is when a musical's good, you're going to hear about it. Not nine times out of ten, unless it's like really, really out there. Like there was this musical called Adding Machine that was off Broadway in like 2005. That it was beautiful and classy and awesome, but like so um, experimental that like mm-hmm. oh yeah, of course that didn't go mainstream. But it was it just about like talking adding machines? No, it's based on I want to say a surrealist story from the 20s about a guy who works as an accountant but he's just but but then he's replaced by an adding machine and everyone in the musical is called like Mr. Zero, Mrs. Twelve. Again, it's very like conceptual and, you know, like experimental. Yeah. Really brings those teenagers in. Really? <laughs> yeah, you know? it would always be me and a bunch of old people yeah. um at these shows. Um but yeah. There's no pretty bell. All right, we're gonna take we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna have a little game we're gonna play with you. So get ready for this. Rachel, I have a game here that I've designed, uh, probably imperfect. We'll see. You know, this is the fun thing about podcasts. They uh, they get better with time. So this is a game called Show Me Your Name. And what I've done is I've gone through your IMDb page. <laughs> and I'm going to name some characters you've played. Mm. And you're going to tell me what show you're going to guess which show they were from oh i love this okay now this is this was difficult for a first stab at this because so many of them 
of your are like your creations. You know what I mean? So it's and and you play Rachel in a lot of these things too. I do there. Well, because those are as self, but there are a lot yeah. of. I predict what you're going to find is a lot of. I do a lot of voiceover, a lot of children's voiceover. I was surprised. I did not know how much of a handle on the children's voiceover world that you had. Was that did that just come naturally? Through just being offers. a famous a no, famous lady, yeah, yeah, I think from doing musical <laughs> theater and people being fans of Crazy X, um, uh, it's offers. Although Trolls was Trolls World Tour was audition, so wow. yeah, but no, I do a lot of. I've really cornered them. I I I think I play a bad psychic named Esmeralda on two different shows. <laughs> and the Let's and the see. and the character game is like the same where I'm like a bad psychic and I'm doing the same voice. There's two well, different shows. Okay. This is the first name that popped up to me. Yeah. Or out to me yeah. and it's uh Old Gypsy. Oh. Uh Old oh. Yeah, Gypsy. that that might be synonymous with Fortune Teller. So that's either on Vampirina or Trolls the TV show. You are incorrect. Oh. This is from a show called Nerd Turns. Uh, two episodes. What? Do you even remember being on this? Uh, it's from 2014. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, it was the, yes, yes, it's the interns, I want to say, at Meltdown Comics had their own web series. Ah, this makes sense. Okay, and I guess I came in and played an old gypsy, which is now not an acceptable term. Yeah, yeah, that's why I brought that one up yeah, first, okay, Rachel. Great. You need to apologize for this. Uh-huh, let's get me canceled. Great. <laughs> no one's no one's canceled for good. It's fine. And in fact, you're already you're already back in. <laughs> um Okay, what about Audrey Quank? Okay, I think that is there was this Channel 101 series where it was creating fake actor reels and it it was it's called I want to say it's I, I don't remember the title but it was fake actor reels and basically it was an entire fake actor reel for this uh, actress Audrey Quank you are you are uh, like I will give this to you it's called acting real master database it was on oh, channel yes. 101 I had to look this up um this so was tell- a great web series by the way you got every episode is so funny because it's basically creating a fake acting reel for a bunch of people. And so it's it's just a series of almost like robot chickeny short blackout sketches. Right. This is I mean that's like that is actually a brilliant it's idea. Great. Do, do you remember some of the types of of shows your character was supposed to be in? Um I was in a uh I played a in a in a haunting reenactment. Uh, <laughs> where one of the lines was like, it was just around bedtime and I was reading my novel book. I thought that was really funny. I was in a musical commercial for like LAT&T where it was like a song called LFMAO. I was in the end of a rom-com mm-hmm. where I, I, and I got my friend in, so I kissed my friend Steve and then there was like a random guy and we went, oh, Mr. Wasi. It was really funny. This is all around the time you were doing. I mean, this is early on, so this is like all around the time you're doing your shorts too. So this is 2010. Yeah, so this is right after "Fuck Me, Ray Bradbury" came out, and it was this middle time where I was still living in New York before I lived out to LA, but I was getting some stuff based on "Fuck Me, Ray Bradbury," and actually, I 
Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Before Fuck Me, Ray Bradbury, uh, I did a friend's sketch, my friend Nicole's sketch. It's called Cheaters, uh, which is a sketch from 2008, 2009. A manager discovered me from that. And she was like, and you know, anyone can become a manager, by the way. Agents have to be accredited, but anyone can call themselves a manager. I just want to say that. Well, then I have a phone call to make. Yep. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, oh. Roy. Oh. <laughs> Roy, you're fired. <laughs> I thought it was that you were going to call me to be my manager. <laughs> Hold on a second. Uh, Rachel, can you pick up? What? Yeah. Hello. Hey, guess what? I'm a manager now. Oh my God. Take 10% of my money, please. Thank you. <laughs> so this I didn't even woman, have to ask. No, no, no. I just, I, I, I do need a manager. Actually, I don't. I don't have a manager right now. I don't know if I need, it's a whole thing. Um... I would uh, now, now knowing that I would like to be your manager. Yeah, Rachel. yeah, yeah. I, w- I actually would prefer that job over the one I currently do. So, <laughs> um, oh, anyway, I got this manager who who would say things to me like, "You're gonna get me my beach house," while she was smoking a cigarette, which is not a thing anyone says. And I flew up. She was like, "You need to fly out to LA and audition." And she she wanted to make me a teen heartthrob star because at 22 she thought I looked like a teen. I'd never done film auditioning before. And so I went on two terrible auditions. One was a pilot called Betwixt, which was a sexy CW pilot. And the other one was for a short film called Crazy Eyes. I bombed both of them and she dropped me instantly. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't ready to. And I said to her, I was like, I've never auditioned for film or TV. And she's like, no, no, no. You'll be great. You'll be fine. What was the, how'd you bomb? I just want to hear how you failed at all your auditions. Uh, they just weren't good. I think they just weren't good auditions. The feedback from both was like, I was very green and not good. And I think very green is code for like not good. Mm. Betwixt, I mean, what was this? Like a uh, horny fairies or something? It was, I think, shapeshifters. Also, oh, this manager I was with insisted on coaching me herself and coached me like line readings, like line oh. by line reading. So I went into this audition being like, I got to remember all of the things she coached me, which is. A hundred percent not how to audition no. for TV or film at all. It wasn't until I took a film and TV auditioning class uh, a couple, like a year or two later, my first one, I hadn't taken one before, and I did an audition, and I went, oh, oh, when you audition for film TV, like, you don't have to, like, act. Like, you're just, oh, you just, like, pretend to, like, that it's happening and that it's you. And I was like, oh, okay. Hold on, I gotta make another phone call. <laughs> Hey, Michael, it's Michael. <laughs> Did you know that when you audition for film and TV, just pretend to be yourself, you don't have to act? Okay, let's just remember that for next one, okay? Which is way easier said than done, by the way. That is really hard. I, that is true. I feel like, I mean, I still feel like I'm very, I struggle with being very on the line in all of my auditions. Like, you know, I still fight that urge to be like, act the line. Act this line of dialogue. Yes, you know? yes. Rather than... Um, Say, surprising yourself with your own impulses. Right, right. Which I, is hard. Because also auditioning is unnatural in every sense of the world. A word because if you were on set reading these lines, you'd be on a set. You'd be with other actors. You'd be moving your body. You wouldn't be rooted to one spot. Yeah, you and all the stuff where you have to pretend to like eat guacamole while handcuffed, which is something I do have to do in this next one that I'm auditioning for. It's like, what I, can I just... Can we just not do that? Or, or the ones where you're like, get down! And you're like, 
dodging cars. Not that, you know, either of us auditioned for a lot of action films, but it always blows my mind when they send you the very action-heavy things or the very prop-specific things that you're not going to have and the scene won't work until you're actually there doing it. It's frustrating. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's all very, very weird, and you have to, at the end of the day, make it look natural. Because I've been on the other side. I've been on the other side of casting, and you were saying at the beginning, like, actors are treated badly and kind of expendable. When you are watching a bunch of actors in a row, especially on tape, you get very unsentimental very quickly. You really, it, 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 and it's easy. Anyone can fall into it, where you just go, like, you watch five seconds, and you're like, ugh, no, next. And, like, that was two hours of someone's life that you've just gone, eh, no. It's, and what yeah what is it what's the thing i think this is the thing that bugs every actor yeah. you know i've I, I worked with a buddy of mine recently on something and it you know and i could tell that he was just trying to find the the magic you know he's trying to find that magic key that's just going to unlock all of these auditions and i and i i was emphasizing i don't think that exists you know what i mean you're usually getting the part you know a lot of times the thing here is it's physicality or it's you know it's the way you look or you're 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 the just the right type, you know. What 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 do you think it is when you go, or what's not there when you're like, uh, eh, next. Uh, the only thing that matters to me is do I buy it? Do I mm. buy that this person is saying these words right now, and this is the first time they've thought of these words? It like it's as simple as that. Um, I I think it's it's. I, when people are quote unquote green, it means like you can see that they've memorized their lines and they've practiced their li- like not all the time, but like there's a you know there's a there's an ease to when you buy it, it means like oh I tr- I truly buy this person saying these words for the first time and and that's way easier said than done as someone who also puts themselves on tape in auditions. It's way easier said than done, but that's that's the only thing I can really I can really say. And then and then you're also looking for like, does this person fit the type of person that we're right that we're looking at? Like sometimes people have such great auditions, you're like, should we change? I don't know. Maybe we should change the part around. Like, fuck it, this person's so good. Um, and that's sometimes on agents submitting wrong type, but but also it's more just like on. No one can predict the type of person you've had in your head. A description only gets you so far. So it's just, yeah, it's like, do I, do I buy it is the only thing that I've ever like reacted to or cared about. So I'm also not precious on like, do they know the lines? If they're adding lines, like if, if you're, I think if the one annoying thing is if you're erasing jokes and then replacing them with jokes that aren't as funny, you're like, well, this person sucks. <laughs> so like, if you're going to like not do the jokes that I wrote or someone else wrote and replace them with your own, your jokes just need to be funnier. Right. Um, How often does that actually happen? It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. But I think, uh. I, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I, I say my friend Adam Pally books a lot. And I remember, I think, asking him, like, uh, you know, how do you book? And he's like, I just don't give a shit. Like, you you have to not give a shit because in order to seem like these words these are coming out of your mouth for the first time ever, your impulses have to be free. So you can't go in thinking, I need to book this or this is mine to lose. It's why you hear all these stories where it's like, yeah, I was about to leave the business and I went in for this one audition. I didn't give a fuck and I booked it. It's because you're like, 
you're imp- you're leaving your impulses to be free. And that's really, really fucking hard to do. I, I know someone else who was like, I go in thinking that the people auditioning me are fucking idiots. I just go in being like, yeah. you're idiots. You don't know what you want. You're all stupid. And so they, you just trick your mind into being like, this isn't a big deal. This isn't high stakes. This project sucks and these people suck. That's exactly what I thought when I walked in for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and saw all of you sitting there. Um, I think, I don't know when this game ended. It's not a hard segment. I'm so um, sorry. But yeah. No, I <laughs> but that's actually, because I was going to say, you know, we're going to close this out with you passing some advice along. And I think like, that's some really good advice right there for. You just have to trick yourself into not giving a shit. And I have, yeah. I have a story about that, but I think that's an extra that you want for the Patreon. Well, that's great. Wow, look at you being a professional guest setting me up for the Patreon. That's right. We are going to we're going to say goodbye to Rachel here. But Rachel and I are we're going to go back to the uh the old green room. I don't know what we're going to call the Patreon, the slate your name Patreon yet, but we're going to hang out. We're going to have the after audition uh coffee together and catch up. Uh, Rachel's got a story that she's going to share with us over there and I will make this because I'm not a cruel greedy man this 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 episode will be available this patreon bonus will be available for free for you guys oh just as a little like taster yeah to get them hooked we're gonna give you a little taste so hop over to patreon.com slash slate your name uh for this story can you give us a little tease a little cliffhangy tease yeah it's about uh where i did the exact opposite in audition from what i'm describing fantastic rachel Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. One of the things I enjoy uh, as we're sitting here on the Zoom is looking over your shoulder and you've clearly mapped out some type of script or project, working hard. If you look over my shoulder, there are just uh, like characters from, uh, there are action figures from Star Wars and just comic books there. So there's a little built-in lesson for me here (laughs) as well and I appreciate it. Where can people find you on social media all that stuff. Anything to plug. What do you want? Uh, my Instagram, Rachel, does stuff. I'm not on Twitter right now. Um, Great. Because it was... Uh, it sucks. Why? Because why? Yeah. Uh, that's it. There? That's really Great. it. Check me out on Instagram. Awesome. and uh, all, yeah. all right. Thanks, Rachel. Everybody else will see you over uh, in the green room. Okay, everybody. That's it for our first episode. Thank you for checking us out. Head over to patreon.com slash slate your name for this week's Green Room episode with Rachel, which is unlocked and waiting for you right now for free. If you have questions or comments, please write to me and the show. Write to me at the show that I'm in at slateyournamepod at gmail.com. In the meantime, give us a follow on Instagram at Slate Your Name Podcast and Twitter at Slate Pod to stay up to date with the show. Uh, shameless plugs. Here we go. Follow me, Michael, on Instagram at McMills, M-C-M-I-L-L-Z-Z. I have another podcast I co-host with my actor buddy Bryce Johnson and musician Riley Bray featuring strange stories about ghosts and UFOs and monsters called Bigfoot Collectors Club. So if you like this, chances are you'll like that too. And if you're looking for some help with preparing an upcoming audition, guess what? I provide acting coaching. Book a Zoom session with me at bookitwithmike at gmail.com. Serious inquiries only, please.
I sounded up in- inquiries. Serious inquiries. That is not how you say that word. Listen, guys, don't send me any weird pictures, okay? I want to thank Rachel Bloom once again for joining me, and a big shout-out to Ryan Counts House, who engineers and edits each episode. Thanks, Ryan. Until I discover my catchphrase, thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. Slate Your Name is executive produced by Ryan Counts House and Michael McMillan, and engineered by Ryan Counts House. Our theme music is by Riley Bray. Please like and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brian Husky. I'm bald. And I'm Charlie Sanders, and I'm also bald. And we host Bald Talk on the Campfire Media Network. Bald Talk is the podcast where two bald comedians talk to anyone bald about being bald. But this show isn't just for baldies, Brian. Harrows will love it, too. Bald Talk gets into vulnerability, vanity, insecurity, and self-acceptance, reminding us that we all have our respective bald spots. Not that bald spots are a bad thing. No way. I mean, my entire head is one big bald spot. It is one huge, beautiful bald spot, Charlie. Get Bald Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I I have like a little bit of hair, but not like you. Like you're really bald. I'm truly bald. Great. I mean, it's I'm great. balder than it. you. You are balder than me. Only on Bald Talk. Campfire. <laughs>